Hello, sleepless listeners. David Cummings here. Welcome to Season 19 of the No Sleep Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. If you're hearing this, it means you have successfully become a Season Pass 19 member. Well, with Season 18 at an end, we've turned off our televisions for now. Time to get outside for a while, right? Enjoy nice long walks through cemeteries, pet a black cat, enjoy a sip of sherry, swing back and forth, ah, just to hear the old heart beating again. That's living, isn't it? As always, Season Pass members might need some support with their feeds along the way. If your problem is related directly to the purchase or playing of your Season Pass on an app, you can contact the Season Pass support team at Glow at support at glow.fm. They have a great support team and they'll be able to help you quickly with any technical or payment issues. And if you need to contact us at the podcast, you can always reach us at admin at thenosleeppodcast.com. And as I always say, please don't contact us via social media because we're just not set up to handle support issues that way. Now, at the start of the season, we like to share a story with our great Season Pass supporters. You might say it's our obsession. We agonize over these stories. They become all-encompassing to us. Don't believe me? Well, perhaps this story might help illustrate what I mean. Our own Olivia White, a person for whom obsession over stories is well-documented, has taken it upon herself to craft a tale for us. She provides the words, while I provide the mortar, as it were, along with Atticus Jackson. Mortar and bricks. They build a good foundation. The foundation of season 19. And so, let's get to work building this season into something solid and long-lasting. And it all begins, bit by bit, piece by piece. All it takes is another brick in the wall. Today is day one. When I was a teenage boy, I possessed a book that both fascinated and repulsed me in equal measure. I no longer recall the title or the twisted mind who compiled the tome, but the purpose of the book was to serve as a collection of disgusting, creepy, and horrifying true anecdotes from around the world. From the screaming man on the rack depicted on the front cover, to the lurid blood-red font that dripped down the spine, it was clearly marketed at macabre little teenage brats such as myself, who saw no problem with the commercialization of human suffering. There was a chapter dedicated to freaks, read people suffering with horrible medical conditions and deformities who, up until alarmingly recently, have been considered as perfectly reasonable fodder for disturbed shock and awe. There was another about medieval torture devices, many of which we now know to be completely fictional, but this book contained numerous word-of-mouth stories passed down over the centuries, detailing incidents of terrible suffering that folk endured through these devices. You want examples? There's the strapado, which suspends your arms from behind until your shoulders dislocate. There's the pendulum, a blade that slowly swings towards you, leaving you helpless to watch as it begins to graze your bare stomach. And there's the Judas Cradle, 
a sharp spiked pyramid onto which wretched victims were slowly lowered. Well, you can imagine the rest. There was a chapter on the animal kingdom, the worst things that our furred and feathered friends can and have done to humanity. A lot of these came in the form of creepy crawlies, parasitic worms that can zombify their prey, fish that will swim up inside the male member, flies that live in huge swarms underground. Others were larger, bear attacks, complete with grainy black and white photos of the aftermath of a mauling, the tale of a cat who ate his owner alive after he fell into an undiscovered coma. Then, of course, there were the inevitable chapters on things that people do to each other. Serial killers, sadists, poisoners, genocidal maniacs. There was a chapter solely dedicated to the horrors the Nazis committed. I devoured all of this content with glee. I read this book so many times that pages began to fall out. I shared it with my small group of friends, all of whom had had the same macabre fascinations as myself. We read it by flashlight at campouts, despite being intently familiar with the content. Except for one chapter. While the rest of the pages became worn, thumbed, and dog-eared, one chapter remained pristine. My pals would harangue me to let them read it, to stop skipping over it every time we flicked through. Eventually, in a fit of pique, I taped the pages together. I had read that chapter precisely twice. I never wanted to read it again. Now, I just want you to consider that I was the type of macabre, metal-loving, horror-movie-watching, Dungeons-and-Dragons-playing teenage boy that otherwise adored a book like this. And yet, I not only possessed the compulsion to tape one of the chapters up because of how much it unsettled me, but I allowed myself to give into it with little resistance. I forget the exact title of the chapter in question, but roughly, the contents were thus. Horrific things people throughout history had willingly done to themselves. For obvious reasons, I do not wish to dwell too much on the contents overall, save for the relevant parts. I cannot explain why acts of self-destruction haunted me in ways that not even the most foul of murders could. One example is one that the world is highly familiar with, although at the time, for me, the book was the first I'd heard of it. Tech Quang Duc, the Vietnamese monk who, as a form of protest, committed suicide via self-immolation at the Saigon intersection. Many of the others haunted my nightmares for years. There was a man who, during a family Thanksgiving dinner, began to chew on the metal cutlery he was using. A woman who, at a munitions factory during World War II, forced an artillery shell from the production line into her own eye socket. A teenager, whose gender I don't recall, who slowly bit their entire bottom lip clean off in class while retaining eye contact with their teacher the entire time. And there was a story about Soku Shinbutsu, but I can't even bring myself to talk about that. And then there was the next section, Anchorites. Now, if you don't know what an anchorite is, the short explanation is that it's someone who withdraws from society to live in a cell, usually attached to a church, where they dedicate their life to prayer and spirituality. They would often serve as advice givers and spiritual consul in small villages, and they couldn't leave their tiny cells. 
Obviously, they would be fed and have their waste pails emptied, receive fresh garments from their handler in the church, etc. But in general, the whole concept unsettled me deeply. However, that particular section of the chapter was divided into two. There were regular anchorites, and then there were immured anchorites. These rumored individuals were Tibetan monks who willingly walled themselves up in a space no larger than a sitting human, in total darkness, with a single brick through which another member of their order could provide them with bread and water. Think about the logistics for a second, and yes, every horrifying realization is true that you're reaching in regards to a man living possibly decades in a hole so small he can't even move. So, in this chapter, the book's author claimed to have met with one such immured anchorite in a remote monastery in Tibet, and claimed he was present during the man's bricking up. There's a small snippet with the unnamed monk where he talked about why he was doing this. I don't recall the exact quote, of course, but the monk spoke about how he was so committed to the teachings of Buddha that he wanted his very life to represent those teachings. Now, I know very little about Buddhism, and I knew even less as a teen. What haunted me, what ran through my nightmares in regards to the whole contents of this chapter, was the idea of idolizing or worshipping someone or something to such a degree that one would mummify themselves alive or commit to a life of severe hermitude or engage in consensual immuration. After reading the chapter of that book, I became struck by regular crushing paranoia that those around me would engage in some act of horrific self-sacrifice to express their devotion to some deity or cause. My family were a regular church-going lot, and there would be many a night where I would wake in a cold sweat from a dream in which my mother had given herself up to become an anchoress at our local place of worship or that my dear sister or impish younger brother would one day be discovered mummified or, or trapped atop a pillar, or having cooked and devoured their own tongue in service of some compulsion to profess their loyalty to something or another. The whole concept mystified and terrified me, at one point during my college years becoming a phobia that almost drove me to seek psychiatric help. But then, as soon as I graduated and entered the adult world of work, such fears seemed to slip away to the back of my mind until they were little more than a fleeting thought. It was six months ago, a few weeks after my 48th birthday, that I met Mia Montresor. Oh, she was the most divine creature I had ever laid eyes upon. Flawless brown skin, deep olive eyes, sleek dark hair like the feathers of a raven, a voice that could better be described as music than speech, a laugh that could set the heart aflutter and the brain aflame. We met at my place of work. When I told her my name, Frank Fortune, she cocked an eyebrow, questioning if I was teasing her. I assured her I was not. She stated that my moniker must surely be a good omen, to which I replied that most of my clients found it such, and that I was certain that the property we were about to visit would bring her the luck my name would suggest. She quipped that she hoped the asking price wasn't reflected in my surname. The next day, I met her at the door to the exquisite Queen Anne property on a delightful street named Willow Lane that had just come onto the market. 
and before the tour had even finished, she was in love. Oh, and so was I. I'm a real estate agent, if that isn't clear by now, and the delightful Ms. Montresor had come to my firm looking to purchase a forever home in the area. Just her for now, she told me, as my heart skipped 25 beats. By the end of the working day, the sale was done. By the end of the day itself, my mind could focus on nothing else besides Ms. Mia Montresor. She was no mere human. She was an angel, nay, a goddess, descended to this earth, who deserved the worship of all who saw her. My love was more than simple lust or even romance. I adored her. I woke at night with images of her in my mind. I used the internet to discover everything I could about her. She was 27 years old, a doctor. She had one sister. Her mother had passed when she was young. Her father lived in Milwaukee. And she was a deity for whom I wished to dedicate the rest of my life. Ah, oh, but what could I do? She was almost half my age. We had met precisely twice. She was my client. There was no possible way that this divine, perfect example of humanity would be interested in me. And if I even attempted to make such a pass at her, I could risk losing her from my life altogether. A number of fitful, sleepless nights passed until, in the early hours of a Friday morning, I awoke from a dream of being trapped in a tiny space. Only, unlike my previous teenage night terrors, I did not awake in fear. I woke with a sense of inner peace and realization, the likes of which I'd never felt before. That day, I went into work, covertly Xeroxed the blueprints of the property on Willow Lane, then begged sickness, claiming I would work from home that day. A few barely stifled coughs, and my bosses were only too happy to acquiesce. I spread those blueprints out over my dining table and went to work studying them. It was an old property. From my experience as a realtor, I knew that many old properties contained gaps in the walls, cubby holes, corner cutting, you name it. And as a young man before I settled into the real estate industry, I'd worked construction as a mason. I knew exactly what to look for. The perfect space to dedicate to what I now knew had been my destiny since birth. To be the most devoted disciple, the enamored acolyte of the most holy soul that was Mia Montresor. I had to work quickly. Ms. Montresor's move-in date was set for two weeks hence. I had vacation hours saved up and cashed them in. Then, under the cover of darkness, I took the keys to the property on Willow Lane and moved in everything I would need. The details of my masonry are trite and unexciting. All you need to know is that there was an alcove between a firebreast wall and the corner of the master bedroom. A wall which, as luck would have it, was mere exposed brick. It wasn't difficult to create a small home for myself. I had certain major decisions to make, such as whether I should commit to standing or sitting, and in which direction. In the end, I decided on a layout in which I sat with my back resting against the outer wall and my legs bent up opposite me. I sit upon a raised brick hollow 
with a space for years of defecation and urination to drop into the gaps and crawl spaces below, granting me what I predict to be a couple decades before I start having a problem. All my worldly goods are stowed between my legs. The problem of nourishment and liquid sustenance was one I had to face. After all, like the anchorites of old, I could hardly rely on someone providing for me through a hole in the wall. Water was surprisingly the easiest of the two issues to solve. Outdoor guttering ran down the exterior wall, and I was able to create a functioning funnel that led into the large tank I've securely installed above my head. A capped faucet leads to my mouth, which I can tilt to allow water to flow, with no danger of it flooding my new home. The tank is large enough to store months worth of drinking water, and every time it rains, it will refill. Now, food… well, at first this seemed like an insolvable conundrum, but it's remarkable what the 21st century offers. Astronauts and doomsday preppers provided my solution. I have enough freeze-dried food and high-protein energy tablets shoved in here with me to last decades. It's foul, but a small sacrifice to be able to dedicate my existence to my goddess. I am naked, of course. Such an act felt obscene at first. My goddess is far too pure for a mere sexual tryst with me. But being unclothed is clearly the most hygienic and practical approach. The mortar has dried. There is only one space left for one final brick. I have taken a double dose of Ambien to ensure that I fall asleep shortly, so that when I awake, the mortar will have dried, giving me no chance to change my mind, to back out of this holy dedication I offer to my goddess. I confess, occasionally I have doubts. Occasionally I have to push myself to keep going. My goddess will arrive in three days. The darkness is absolute. More than I expected. I, I can't find my water nozzle. It's... No. No. Calm. Stay calm. This is for her. I will be the first of her disciples. And I hope not the last. I will sleep. Today is day four. I'm shocked at how soundproof my cell is. I expected to be able to hear my goddess clearly, but all I can hear is the occasional bang or scrape. More vibration than sound, really. But I can feel her. On the other side of this wall, I can feel her. Her holy energy. Her divinity. Even though I live in darkness, silence, her light bathes me. Today is day 31. I understand now. I understand everything. I am transcending. I lean my cheek against the cold brick of my cell, and I feel my goddess on the other side. She knows that I am here. She basks in my adoration, my love. We empower one another. Today is day 65. Hunger and thirst, despite my precautions. 
perhaps I am over rationing. The cell is filled with stench, and it disgusts me that my goddess has to suffer this and be near my human weakness. But she does not complain, does not bang on the wall and insist that I remove myself from her holy presence. I am merely a wretch compared to her, a bug which she could squash underfoot, but does not. I do not deserve her, and yet she allows me this blessing. Today is day one hundred and something. Light pierces my eyes, even though all I see is darkness. It is the light from my goddess. She sends it to me to reward me for my devotion. Like Saul, I was blind, but now I see, even as I see nothing at all. Today is day oh, 100 and something. For many days and nights, I have heard my goddess. I feel her touch against the wall of my cell. I hear her whispers, and even though I do not understand what she says, it gives me strength, hope. My life is hers. I am closer to God than I thought possible. Today is day. I understand now. I understand everything. I have transcended. If I could pluck out my eyes and offer them to my goddess, I would. If I could slice off my tongue and offer it to my goddess, I would. Today's day. My goddess surely must be worshipped the world over by now. Today is day. Oh, my goddess. That fucking stinks! Did an animal crawl in here and die somehow? What are all these packets? Oh! Oh shit! Oh goddamn! Oh! Oh holy crap! Hail Mary, Mother of God, shit! Fuck shit! Ah! Uh, hey! Hey, Lynn? Lenny! Oh, we got a fucking body here. There's, there's a dead body bricked up in the goddamn wall. Lynn? Lynn? God damn it, get in here! Bet you stepped out for a smoke. Ah, jeez, what the hell am I gonna do? This reeks. Doesn't look like this guy's been dead long. He's well preserved. Ah! Not 
dead. Oh, fuck. Oh, holy shit. Fella, fella. Just lie still. I'll get you out of here. Oh, holy shit. Who did this to you? Not out. I am a right. I am my goddess. I don't understand. Just relax. Relax. We'll get you help. My goddess. Where? Goddess. Settle down, fella. Settle down. What goddess? Don't worry about it. Uh, what goddess? Me. me. Uh. You. You're the goddess. You're sick. You're in shock. We'll get you help. Me. Monstrosaur. Wait. Auntie Mia? She did this to you? No. She. Goddess. She. Her house. Wall. Back. Fix. Fix. Fix it. For. For Mia. Fella, I don't know what your deal is, but I gotta break it to you. Auntie Mia, she died. Died? No. No goddess in this house. She never lived in this house, my man. Died the day before she was due to move in. We didn't even know she bought it. The realtor who was handling her contract disappeared and it, uh, kind of fell through the cracks. Only discovered it was our inheritance last week. Realtor? I'm... Oh, shit! You're that guy! You're Frank Fortune? Mia... is... She... She's... God... She's a... a goddess... I... Give myself, my body, my soul, all this time. Jeez, you're not kidding. Have you been in here since before she died? Holy shit. Holy shit! Lynn, I really need you in here. How? How long? How, how, how long? How long? Hey, hey, you're sick. You're clearly sick. Just lie back. We're gonna get you help. Help! Ah, you're hurting me. Jeez. Strong for an old guy. How long? Here? Oh, God. Ah. Auntie Mia died in a hit-and-run in May 2021. Fella, I, I don't know how to tell you this. It's 2048. This house has been sitting empty all that time. You've been in the walls for the last 27 years.
Oh my, you see what I mean? That's the level of dedication we bring to this podcast. And it reminds me to buy some more freeze-dried food. (laughs) Can't let my supplies run low. So, Season 19. We're so glad you're around to share it with us. Thanks again for supporting what we do. We'll be back soon with a premiere of Season 19 on February 4th. Until then, stay sleepless. And, like any good brick-laying wall builder, you do well to brace yourself. The No Sleep Podcast is presented by Creative Reason Media. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and for being a supportive Season Pass member who is under our spell. This audio production is copyright 2021 and 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc.